Just a note before we start. Our show talks about touchy subjects that may be difficult for some of our listeners. Take care of yourself. If you feel you need to seek help, see the links at the end of our show notes for resources. Welcome to Touchy Subjects, a podcast that aims to make those awkward conversations around domestic and sexual violence just a little less awkward. I'm Sean. I'm Allie. And I'm Amanda. And today we have a special guest with us, Sonia Frontera. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, Would you please just introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, and first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I am an attorney. I have been practicing law for 26 years, and I am also an empowerment trainer domestic violence advocate and empowerment trainer and author. Awesome. We love it. We love it. Um, So, you know, obviously on our show, we talk about touchy subjects, right? And all of our guests um, that have been so gracious to give us our time and be on here have some, some hand in that, in that topic or broad range of subjects that are touchy subjects, right? So what kind of what kind of brought you to our show? What what brought you to this um, this category that we call touchy subjects? Well, I have been involved in domestic I have been involved in domestic violence advocacy for, oh my goodness, over 25 years now. Um, I started out when I was in law school and I, I began by being an extern in the domestic violence unit in the superior court in the county where I was going to school. And uh, I have continued with with advocacy on and off throughout my career. And I also have the personal experience. I was in a toxic marriage for seven years. And uh, it's, it's a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. And now I find myself practicing divorce law and having more flexibility. And I am doing outreach to try to help people who are involved in those kinds of relationships so that they don't have to go through the kind of hardships I went through so that I, um, I like to be involved in, in educating people and uh, empowering them so that they can live their best lives. Okay, so Sonia, what does that actually look like? Like you said that you work to empower survivors. What is it that you do with them? Do you have classes? Do you, like, how do you do that? Well, I I do it in a number of different ways. I do a lot of outreach to these uh, organizations and share with them my book and make them available for their library so that their their, uh, clients can have access to it and learn. And I also do some coursework. Uh, I do uh, programs where I go over my book and, and we have discussions on the subject. I am a speaker as well uh, for different organizations that are interested in providing information about domestic violence to people in their communities. And I'm also doing some courses that are not necessarily uh, targeted specifically for domestic violence survivors, but that provide the tools for domestic violence Uh, survivors to improve their lives. And this is something that I do um, by running workshops. And now I'm starting to do online courses and and such. So I am really flowing and open and and listening to what the organization's needs are, what my readers' needs are, and try to provide products that are going to make a difference in their lives. Great. So it sounds like you're doing a little bit of everything. Always. (laughs) 
So in there, Sonia, you mentioned your book. So could you kind of explain what your book is for our audience and how you use the book to um, help the people that you work with or when you advocate for them? Well, I have published two books. The first book is entitled Solve the Divorce Dilemma. Do you keep your husband or do you post him on Craigslist? And I wrote this book for women who are on the fence, who are in unhappy relationships and are contemplating the possibility of ending their marriages. And it provides them with a series of prompts and reflections and information so that they can determine whether their, their relationships are viable to understand, gain clarity as to how they ended up in these relationships, what keeps them in their relationships, and ways they can come to a decision whether or not to leave or stay. And regardless of the course they, they choose to uh, go for, they can create lives that are fulfilling and satisfying and move forward in freedom. Now, that was my first book. Um, I wrote it for women, and I wrote it in conjunction with with a, um, a domestic violence expert to make sure that the content of the book would be useful for, for women who are in abusive relationships. Now, surprisingly, men became interested in the book and started reading it and complaining that the book uh, was a little biased towards women, and all the examples applied to women. So I was inspired to create another book that would be gender neutral, that would include men as well, and that would provide increased content that would be useful to both sexes with a different spin on it so that it would also be attractive to people who are looking for relationship solutions as opposed to just making the decision to divorce. So it's more encompassing for people in, in the broad spectrum of relationship uh, turmoil. Yeah, so it really sounds like, especially with that second book, that your the process that you took from the first book to the second book is a lot sounds very similar to the steps that just the women's movement or work with domestic violence survivors often tracks. Is that first instance of when we're trying to implement something, we focus specifically on women because we recognize that women are going to be the ones probably who are going to be abused the most often. And then as we do more work, we realize, oh, we need to make sure that we are being more inclusive because while, yes, we know this is happening more often to women, this is impacting everyone. So creating that more gender neutral space or creating tools that are going to be more useful for everyone or a broader audience tends to end up helping more people. That's right. And also you find that men who, who are in situation really do need the help because there's so little available to them. Yeah. Like we've talked about before on our show too, is that we'll stigmatize men often to make it so that they sound, it sounds like men are the bad guys or are always the bad guys and they're never the victims. And that's not the case. It's just that we don't see men as being able to be victims because we think of them as either being the perpetrator or we think of them as less manly, quote unquote, if they are being abused. So those resources aren't made available to us. So it's great that you have that resource available because I know there's a lot of guys out there who do need some kind of resource. So knowing that it is available is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, now Sonia, you, you obviously you've been an attorney for, I think you said 26 years, quite a long, quite a long um, career. So tell us a little bit about your experience as a lawyer, as, as an attorney, um, specifically in the divorce field. What has that, how has that intersected with domestic violence? What has that looked like for your career? 
Well, actually, now that I'm doing divorce law, I'm doing less with domestic violence uh, with clients in that uh, in that re regard. Actually, when I first started, my very first court appearance was in domestic violence court, and uh, I, I did represent uh, a woman uh, locally. And from then on, I did a, a few more of those hearings, and then I transitioned into government. And, and the bulk of my career has been in government, but because of for health reasons, I had to retire from my litigation career, and then started the divorce practice. Someone uh, I'm, I was friends with recommended I switched into collaborative divorce, which is a different kind of divorce that does not involve litigation and was more suitable for someone with my my specific condition. But um, I have not really been approached to work with domestic um, domestic uh, violence survivors in my divorce practice. So the way I get involved still with domestic violence survivors is through advocacy in terms of education and support and empowerment. That's really interesting. Um, I, I don't know that I would have I would have thought that um, and which is ironic uh, doing what we do, but obviously my thought goes to, you know, the the internalized thought that I have is, well, if somebody's leaving a relationship, they get divorced, right? And a divo then you get a divorce lawyer, but that's not the way that it always happens for survivors. And um, of course, that's not the only type of relationship that domestic violence happens in. Uh, you do not have to be legally married to somebody uh, to experience domestic violence. So that's really... Um, that's an interesting, that's an interesting point. No, definitely, Allie. I made the same just, you know, blind connection that you did where, you know, oh yeah, if you're, if you're working in domestic violence and you're working in a divorce court, then obviously those two things are going to intersect. But like she said, that's really interesting that it, that it doesn't always. So in your, so in the descriptions and stuff that you were giving us then about the advocacy and work that you do in communities already, because we also do a lot of similar things from your perspective or from something that you've heard or learned, what are some warning signs then that people can look for to kind of help recognize if the relationship they're in might not be that great or it might be that unhealthy or abusive relationship? There are a number of different behaviors and some are very self-evident. If, you, if your spouse or your partner um, physically harms you or, or beats you, that is unmistakably domestic abuse. But there are other behaviors that are a lot less obvious. And th the spectrum is so wide and so nuanced that very often people don't even recognize the signs. But the, the, mo the most important thing is that domestic violence um, dynamics are about power and control. You have the abusive partner who is trying to exert control over um, the other partner by using a number of different means. It could be as simple as put downs and verbal abuse and criticism. It can be gaslighting where you're trying to make the other person think they're crazy and do things that make your partner question their sanity is like, did I, it, and it comes from that movie Gaslight where the husband was turning the lights on and off uh, and telling her that that was not really happening. Um, there's financial abuse where the abusive partner tries to control the other partner's access to money or the ability to make money or the ability to keep a job by showing up and making scenes at his or her place of employment. There can be spiritual abuse as well where you use the person's religion and faith against them to keep them under your control. 
um, sexual abuse is also common where your partner tries to coerce you into engaging in sexual acts that you're not comfortable with or you do not want to participate in. So it is a broad range. And, and I say that some of the most dangerous can be the psychological abuse where you're trying to manipulate the person and erode and chip away their self-esteem because these behaviors can be really barely noticeable or seemingly harmless, but when you put them together uh, in, and it's in the proper context, you can tell that there is system, there's a system and a pattern to make this person lose self-worth and self-reliance. Yeah. And when, we're, when we often talk about domestic violence or dating abuse is we'll talk about it a lot from the frame of being in a dating relationship. That's mainly because like a lot of the work that I do, and I know Allie too, like we work with students a lot. So we're working with people who are in dating relationships, not so much in marriage relationships, obviously. But um, in your experience, Sonia, is there any additional barriers that might come from being in a, in a marriage or having their spouse be abusive towards them in that attempt to try and leaving that relationship if they choose to do so? I mean, leaving a relation, an abusive relationship is the hardest and most dangerous part because very often the partner who is abusive will try to um, keep you under whatever means necessary. It could be by threats of harm, threats to kill him or her. It can be uh, pretending, uh, feigning that they will commit suicide if you, if you leave or make threats to track you down wherever you go. So it makes makes leaving very frightening and where you don't have the the means or the support to make a safe exit it could be very very dangerous another factor that keeps uh, people trapped in these relationships is their uh, financial situation they may not have the ability or the access to the resources to live independently so they remain in a relationship that is unhealthy because they're afraid they cannot make make it on their own and they may not have access to um, programs or information that could empower them to make that move. So those are the main, the main barriers to getting out. And another one that is also powerful is the immigration status. Very often, and I see this as I, I practice immigration law. You see it, and and I, in, I, I see more intersection actually in my immigration practice with domestic violence than in divorce itself. Surprisingly. But very often, a partner will try to keep a spouse uh, in the relationship by threatening to uh, rat on her to the immigration authorities and get him or her deported. That's very, very common. Yeah, exactly. Or children um, threatening to have children taken away and be deported, um, especially because when you're talking about those immigration victims, most of their knowledge of the American system comes from the abuser. So they're only giving them the information that they want them to have. Right. And you, you find that very often in toxic relationships, you are being fed wrong information intentionally. You know, you're, you're painting a picture, you're creating a veil that will, that will keep you away from whatever it is you need to break free. So it is, it's very common also because you don't you don't know the system it is complex as it is for people who speak the language if you throw in there the fact that you may not speak a language you don't understand the law it can make it extremely intimidating absolutely and just kind of thinking to how we currently in our 
in our country have a general societal viewpoint towards immigrants to begin with, that negative connotation that comes with somebody saying, hey, I'm an immigrant, that could also be a barrier to them reporting anything because they're not sure how somebody is going to address them, how they're going to treat them once they know that they're an immigrant. So going back to some discussions that we've had before on our podcast, all of these things, all of our societal viewpoints connect in some way to creating barriers or creating environments that are able to allow for violence to take place. If our general societal viewpoint on immigrants is that it's a, there's, there's negative viewpoints towards them, those negative viewpoints will allow for their abuser to use that against them, to keep them in that relationship. Yes, abusers will, will, get, will get a hold of anything they can to keep somebody trapped. Whether it's lying or engaging in physical violence, it's just whatever it takes to control the other person. Right. Well, and, you know, a lot of times we, in this field, we know the question, why doesn't, why doesn't she just leave? Why don't they just leave if it's so bad, right? We, we hear that time and time again, and it's cliched and it's offensive and we have a million and one responses to it. Um, but, you know, can you talk about some of those reasons why, I mean, besides why, why people stay in abusive relationships, eventually, if they are able to get out of it, they do. What, what are some of those breaking points? What are those, what are those things that make people decide, you know, this is it for me, I need to get out. And how does that actually look for survivors? Because I think that's something that a lot of, um, people that experience domestic violence struggle with visualizing, right? What does that decision actually look like? And how do I actually move on from here? You know, I was thinking about that and, and it just dawned on me that it is very similar to any other relationship in which there is no abuse. I think when you reach that tipping point that the pain is so great, that it's more painful to stay than to leave the relationship, that would be uh, that would be a really important prompt for you to get out. And you can see that, especially when someone's life is really in danger, when they fear that if they don't get out, they're going to die. So that is a re that is a breaking point for some people. But for people who are not necessarily in, in physical danger, it's when you've had enough when you realize that this relationship is never going to get any better. And one of the things that you were talking about, why people ask, uh, why aren't you leaving? How come you stay if it's so bad? Why do you stick it out? And the problem is that people don't understand the dynamics of these relationships because these abusers enter into a series of dynamics in which they they can be really charming, really loving. Uh, when they do something bad, when they engage in abuse, they become very contrite and I'm so sorry, I promise it will never happen again. So you have someone tied to someone who sometimes behaves very nicely and you wanna cling on to the person who is nice, the person he or she can be but chooses not to be. And when you realize that this person is never going to be that wonderful partner on a full, full-time consistent basis, then you, you, you realize that you're better off just moving on. And it's not easy because you have that attachment to the relationship that you are wishing for. Yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Because these abusers don't just, you know, 
start the second week of their relationship being abusive. There's months or years where they're putting in this time and effort to build a relationship and then abuse can start. And, you know, when a, when a person's already put that much time and effort into something, it's really hard to just turn away from it. It's like when I'm doing presentations, talking about domestic violence, I always just ask my students, like, if you went on a first date with someone and they punched you in the face, or if they called you fat or ugly, are you ever going out with them again? No, no one would ever go back out with that person. So they can't start out if abusive because they know if they did, they would never be able to get anybody to stay in the relationship for them to have that power and control over them. Yeah, that's right. They do it when they have the power over you. That's when they make those moves. Right. And I, th I think that that sentiment, the sentiment of a bringing empathy to the general population about why victims stay in abusive relationships is incredibly important. But also I think us saying that there is going to be a tipping point, but it's an internal one, right? If somebody is we say we say this a lot that a survivor knows their own story best they know their abuser best they know their situation best it's hard for people on the outside um you know whether it be loved ones personally professionally at their jobs whatever whatever it may be to to see it happening over and over again and and say you just need to get out right like but if you if you're not ready, if that if if a, if a survivor is not at that place for whatever reason it may be, maybe it's their emotions that are blocking them, maybe it's something physical that's blocking them, maybe it's financial, economic, those sort of things. Whatever it is, if they're not ready, they aren't ready, and that needs to be respected by other people because the pushing and pushing is more isolating for survivors. Yeah, you're disempowering the the person. You are are taking away their they're being an adult, they're being competent, you're making decisions for them, you're infantilizing them. And that is abuse. And, and you know, even if you don't mean it, it, it's it's a way of victimizing the person again. And that's why it's so important to get out there and letting people understand what you can do if you know someone you suspect is being in, uh, abused, or if you have witnessed the abuse, what you really need to do is say, hey, I'm here for you if you need me, if you ever uh, need me to listen to you, I'm here. Um, no judgment. I'm here for you in whatever way you need me to be, as opposed to I'm here to get you out of that house, you know, or whatever you think is the prescription for this particular situation. And I think it's very difficult for people who are in these situations because they know what their families are like. For me, are like, for, me for instance, um, my mom would have been the most terrible person to get counsel from uh, when I was in my toxic relationship. And it's really funny because I, I heard her say something exactly as, as you were describing um she had to go to um, a facility because she she was having some problems with blood pressure so she went to this hospital and they required her to go into group sessions and they mix people with different kinds of issues and there was a woman with domestic violence uh, uh abuse and and there she's going i don't know why you're still there and she's just going on and on and on and she's telling me about it and she had no idea that i was in an abusive situation myself and i'm thinking to myself she's the last person i can talk to or she's the last person anyone should seek counsel from and 
here we have someone who is teaching catechism at the church, who's seen as a very wise person in the community. And she's the last person you would want to have counsel someone who is experiencing abuse. That's really and, interesting. And I want to go back just a little bit because you said something a little earlier, Sonia, about how abuse kind of starts when they start feeling that they have power over their partner. So in your experience then, would this kind this almost to me sounds like it answers a question that a lot of people have is like, well, why would you have married that person if they were abusive? Well, now that they're married, they might feel like they have that power or that go ahead to be able to start getting away with some of those abusive behaviors. So I don't know if that if, that, if you have the same thought or. Exactly. No, you're spot on. And that's what happened to me. My, my ex-husband started the abusive behaviors within 24 hours of the wedding. We were on the way to the honeymoon and out of nowhere, he starts saying to me, everything's going to change. And he started being verbally abusive and saying very abusive things about me and my family. And I was taken aback because this was someone who was so, um, so loving. And he had me on a pedestal for the three years we were dating. And I was used to getting flowers every time we meet. You know, it's not, it's, I, I would have never seen this coming, but the moment we had a church wedding and, and it's compounded because I was, uh, I'm Catholic and very religious and the Catholic church frowns upon divorce. So this is another component that you see in, in spiritual abuse, where the person's faith is used against them to keep them in relationships that are not healthy. Right. We see this so often with with people who get into relationships. I mean, I know you said that you were dating for three years, but we'll see people who, you know, someone will be pushing to get married what seems like far too soon um, just so that they can have that that legal peace over them or pushing someone to um, get pregnant because then they now have that legal peace. And we come across that with, you know, people who want to withhold birth control and all of those things, because now it's not just you walking away. Now there's all these steps you have to take to get away. And it's just one more barrier. Yeah. Not to mention that once you have that child, you're tied to this person for the rest of your life. You know, you can't make that clean break. I refuse to have children. And my ex-husband insisted that is the best way for us to repair a relationship. And I'm like, no way, because I know not only was I going to be abused, my child would be abused and I would have to witness that and deal with it at a different level and then be, be forever tied to this person, not knowing how this person would treat my child when I was not present. So there, there are so many below the belt tactics that these abusers uh, apply that we really need to be on the lookout. And that's why it's so important to have discussions like what we're having right now. Yeah. And I, th I think the kid aspect too is often one that people don't fully take into account because while yes, it's a hard thing to say, like, I'm going to break, like I'm breaking, you're breaking up the family because you're the one divorcing me and you're going to make our kid have this awful life now because they're going to have to deal with parents being divorced but we don't often take into account just like what you said, Sonia, about how how is the abuser or the person abusing me going to treat my kid when I'm not there? So them choosing to stay in that relationship then might simply just be to make sure that they are going to be there to keep that kid safe. 
Right. Not to mention also that your your family and, and society will, will put more pressure on you not to divorce because you have that child together. You have to stay together for the sake of the child or the children. So it really compounds the power that the abuser has. And it needs to be factored in. And, and women need to realize that by getting pregnant, they are increasing their chances that a bad situation will get perpetuated. And we see that, you know, this this idea of keeping the family unit intact. I know we kind of just, you know, touched on that, but so often that idea falls to the women in the relationship. It's their responsibility to keep the family intact. And if this relationship fails, if we get a divorce, if we separate, now it's looked at as a failure on the part of the woman because she couldn't make that relationship work. And it's it's just another one of those like old ideas that you know we try and pull away from but then when you talk about um you know victims who are immigrants you know this is a culture that you know has maybe been pushing that that's always been their thought is that it's the the woman's job to keep the family unit intact so now they're basically turning on their whole entire culture by trying to end this relationship I think that whole myth of the failed marriage is something that needs to be debunked and we need to to change our mindset, whether you're an immigrant or you're a US citizen or you're a woman or you're a man, the fact that a relationship does not work out simply means you and your partner are not, are not compatible. It doesn't mean you're a terrible person or a loser or you're evil or you don't have any respect for the institution of marriage. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Also earlier, Sonia, you mentioned a bit about doing work on empowerment for women. So for you, what does that look like or what empowerment work do you do? Well, I, I do different kinds of empowerment uh, for for domestic violence survivors. I have done the um, the financial empowerment training that is provided by Allstate Insurance. And I have created um, a different curriculum uh, for for the Spanish speaking immigrant community. Um, so financial empowerment is one of, the, one of the most important things that you can do to empower someone who's trying to end the relationship. I also create my own programs where I, I like to let survivors understand how, how they deserve to be happy, how they don't have that responsibility for another person to create their happiness and to have an understanding of how they have been dragged into these um, thought and behavior patterns that are harmful and that lead to um, toxic relationships, to unhappy interactions with your partners and lead people to um, understand the control that they have, how they can tend to themselves, mind, body, and spirit, and create their lives on their own terms, understanding that by doing so, they're not being selfish. They're just bringing out the best that they have in themselves for the world, which is something that you can share with a partner. And this is the kind of mindset shift that is very important that I'm trying to emphasize is that when you create the best self, when you're bringing the best of you to the world, this is something that you bring out, not just for yourself, for your own benefit, but for everyone around you, whether it's family members uh, or, or, or people in your work environment or your, your romantic relationships, everybody wins 
when you are confident, when you are living on purpose, when you're using and, and developing and cultivating the best of your abilities and talents, that's when, when life is most rewarding for yourself and everyone around you. So do you feel like uh, this financial empowerment, you know, the, the trainings that you do in financial empowerment, do you feel like that helps really lay the groundwork for somebody being able to leave an abusive situation? It is helpful. And it's also helpful for people who are trying to get back on their feet once they have left an, uh, a relationship. Because bear in mind, many, many times people leave a relationship only to come back all the more disempowered because of um, leaving and not being able to make it financially or otherwise. So it's really imp important to empower, empower yourself financially. And that's why it's so important to be empowered because once you, you stand on your power, then you know, you, you don't uh, feel that desire to return. You just make that clean break emotionally. So then in your opinion, um, Sonia, what can somebody who is experiencing domestic violence or being abused by their spouse, what steps can they take to try and have some of that empowerment happen or some steps they can take to at least make themselves feel safer or more empowered in their relationship and in their decision making. So if they do decide to leave, they're able to make that able to go through with it. Or if they decide to stay, what they can do to at least make themselves feel a little bit safer. If that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Um, first of all, you really need to feel strong enough to make that move. So I highly recommend that anyone who is in, in a situation where they want to exit and they're not ready, provided they're not in, in danger. Because if you're in, in very serious physical danger, you should certainly reach out to the police and end that relationship whichever way you can, because you're better off, you know, ending it abruptly than, than being dead, obviously. But if you're not ready and the situation is, is not that dangerous, I highly recommend that you try to empower yourself first. I am a firm believer in seeking out assistance from a domestic violence organization or a therapist that is very conversant with the domestic violence uh, dynamics because not all therapists are as understanding of what's going on and and do things on your own too to to feel better about yourself i i highly recommend sitting down and, and and trying to reflect on what is it that brought you into this relationship and try to explore what the traps are in this relationship and and tackle whatever the barriers are one at a time so that you can feel strong enough that you can handle whatever comes your way as you exit the relationship for instance if it's financial try to gain more skills, try to look for a job, learn financial literacy so that you have the confidence that you will be able to get yourself back on your feet when the relationship ends. And there's so many resources available through your unemployment office or, or uh, your community colleges. There might be uh, scholarships available, different ways to find something that not only will help you move forward but that will give you a sense of purpose and a sense of self-worth and value 
So that's to address the financial aspects of it. And in terms in terms of empowering yourself psychologically, surround yourself with people who are strong and positive and people who will not judge you, people who will not look down on you because you are in an abusive situation because the stigma is there. You know, there's more people coming out and sharing their stories and you see people who are now in Congress and in very important positions know that it is something that one in four women go through and one in seven men go through, but many people recover from it and so can you. So surround yourself with people who will see through your eyes and, and make you feel um, valuable, strong, and give you the sense of hope that everything will work out. So support systems are very important. And once you feel that you are in that place where you can, where you can move on, you will actually not feel the the abuse as much. I know that for me, I was working with a therapist and I felt that what he was doing was inappropriate and that this was a relationship that had to end, but that I had the control to end it on my terms when I was ready and when it was appropriate for me to do so. And that's why I went to law school. I got an education and I gave myself the opportunity to start over from scratch. So that is something that I highly recommend people do, not necessarily go to law school, but find something that will give you that sense that you can you can handle your life. You can go forward in confidence. And then whatever he's, he or she is doing to get under your skin really won't have the same impact. It's like cutting off the wire that when, when the button is pushed, it will not, the doorbell will not ring. So I, I think everyone who's in in these situations needs to needs to work at their own pace but making sure you're not in denial that you're not pretending things are rosy when in fact they're not so that's why you need to check in with yourself frequently and have perhaps an accountability partner in in in, in the shape of, of a therapist a, a domestic violence counselor or a good friend or family member who is trusted or clergy as well and in there you mentioned resources so sonia if our listeners were looking for some kind of resource, like, I don't know, maybe your book, where might they be able to find that? My book is available everywhere books are sold online, Amazon or through my website, soniafrontera.com. And uh, if you participate in, in um, receiving resources from a domestic violence organization, ask them to reach out to me because I like to share my books with those organizations so that they're available for people who can benefit from them. Awesome. And do you have any socials that people can find you at? Uh, you can go on my website and they, there you will find links to all my social media, including Facebook. I have a private Facebook group called the, the Power Sisterhood. That's for women. And as well as Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, Sonia. It was a wonderful discussion. We enjoyed having you, being able to hear your expertise um, so hopefully you enjoyed talking to us as well. I know we're not the funnest people to talk to. <laughs> it's been great. I thank you for the opportunity. And, and I commend you because what you're doing is really important. And many people will benefit from it. Thanks for doing it. Thank, thank you. you. We appreciate that. We're, uh, we're often the, the party poopers of the group. <laughs> <laughs> we're super so we, fun at parties. We're super fun. <laughs> Thank you all for listening today. Please feel free, as always, to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TouchySubsPod. Email us any questions, comments, or concerns to touchysubjectspodcast at gmail.com.
And in the meantime, don't be afraid to challenge, ask, and discuss when it comes to touchy subjects.